authority. It's a, it's a meaty topic. I'm going to try to get uh, to the heart of what God's word has to say. I think I'm going to share some things that might challenge you and surprise you today. Um, we have a tradition in our house. When you sit down to breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we have a little box of scriptures. Anyone else have the scripture box at their, at their dinner table? Yeah, we have that. And those scriptures, they're just tiny little, little one, one scripture. And they're always inspiring. And then in our particular set, which was given to us on the back, there's a little prayer, and we love that. And so every time we pick that scripture, we do that. But we found out something after a while, after we were doing this, that we weren't really picking the scripture, but the scriptures were picking us. God's word was choosing, choosing us. The scripture found us and read exactly what we needed for that time. Have you ever noticed that when you open the word of God and it speaks prophetically to what you need? And we've even had company, we've had guests over and we knew they were going through something or needed prayer on something and they're like, okay, it's your turn, open the scripture pops, bam. And they read the, the word of God and it totally speaks to where they're at. And I love how God's word does that. And I want to tell you, I believe with all my heart that today these scriptures have found us. They're speaking to us where we need to be where we need to hear from heaven in this case. I have a question for you. How many of you have found out that you have been in the wrong line? Maybe it was at the DMV or somewhere and you didn't quite get the right information, so you were misled to be in a certain line. Well, there was an experience where uh, my wife, my daughter, and, and myself were traveling home to Iowa one season, and we, we previously we saw on TV this Christmas light spectacular, and we find out that there's a city that is kind of in route. So we planned it all. It was December. We got there. It was snowing. It was going to be the perfect setting, and we had to park like several blocks away. I, I remember it vividly because the car next to us like got stuck in the mud. It was kind of out in the country. So we get there, and we realize, wow, this, this is a popular thing. The whole world knows about this. We're, we're not the only ones here, and the line was like gigantuan, like it was enormous. So we're, we're like, this looks like what we need to do. So we popped in that line, and we followed the crowd. We followed everybody else who was in that line because we thought, well, they, they know what's going to happen here and they know where they're going. Come to find out after a long time of, of waiting, you know, as patiently as we could, we get up there and we see the little shack that they've put together for, to take your cash to get into this thing. And we realize that there's a shorter line that we could have been in. It was the cash only line. We're like, we've got cash. Why did we wait in this line? We were just misled. We were misinformed. We didn't have the right information. We stood in the wrong line. Of course, both of us had the same experience, but I believe the shorter line would have been a much better experience, if you know what I'm saying. I've noticed something. I've noticed that there's a line of thinking that might be misleading someone when it comes to understanding of authority. And it's really come to light because of the situation we've just been through in our country. No doubt we found ourselves in the middle of a challenging season during the pandemic. This idea of how we respond to authority has brought polarizing responses from different perspectives in the body of Christ. We've certainly observed government overreach as well as a heavy appearance of fear-based leadership and motivation. And we felt a stronger squeeze in America on our civil liberties than it seems we felt in a while. But not discounting those things, but in spite of them, 
There are truths from God's word that we need to hear that should determine our response to authority. That word authority, if we look it up in a dictionary, it comes from the root word author, authority, author, from the Latin octor or originator. I like that idea of authority. And French origins hold this idea of permission. So, and the biblical Greek word for authority is subjection. We could say then that the authority that we're subject, subject to defines our permissions or our freedoms, both our liberties that we have as well as any limitations that might be imposed. God himself and his written holy word are our final authority. Not just for us, but for everyone, even the non-believer. Because one day everyone's going to stand account for how they responded to or rebelled against authority. For believers, he speaks authoritatively to us. He creates our destiny. He writes our story as the author. He leads us. He guides us. He carries his will out through us. But all those things take place in the best way when we're subjects under his kingdom rule. I want to look at an interesting exchange that occurs between Jesus and someone uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's going to kind of reveal this truth about authority. That I think if we hear this and we walk away living this, it's going to put us in the place to receive everything God has for us. So Matthew 8, let's go there real quick. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. That is like a mind-blowing statement right there. So you mean to tell me that the greatest faith in all of Israel was found in a heathen Roman centurion? One serving in an evil, totalitarian, godless, self-indulgent regime that ruled and conquered the world by force, whose political structures all the way up and down the food chain were absolutely corrupt. Yeah. Why? Because the soldier knew he understood, or better yet, he stood under authority. So faith came easy to him. I believe we can discover something Jesus was showing us about authority, and that's this. It's today's truth, and then we're going to read some supporting realities that support this truth. Revelation of authority energizes the force of faith. When we get authority, we get the fullness of God and what he has for us. If we miss authority, we miss God and we miss the fullness of what God has for us. Let's look at those two statements again because they support this idea that the revelation of authority energizes the force of faith. If we get authority, we get God, and we get the fullness of what God has for us. If we miss authority, we're going to miss God, and we're going to miss the fullness of what God has for us. As we look at the scripture today, to help us realize that those things are true, we're going to also learn these truths. Number one, the
the fear of the Lord is our higher motivation even when men rule with fear. And we're going to be aware that our authority becomes diminished when we wrongly rebel against human authorities. And finally, that rebellion isn't the response to oppression. Actually, repentance is. Because it allows God to be deliverer, not us. So let's dive into our main passage here where Paul's writing to the church throughout the entire Roman Empire at the time. In Romans 13, he says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. From this passage and then from one in Peter, we're going to, in First Peter, we're going to take a look at these four pillars, uh, these four awarenesses. Let's put those on the screen right now. We're going to take a closer look at conscience. Out of this passage, we're going to take a closer look at judgment. Why he talks about judgment. Fear. What kind of fear really is in play here? And then rebellion, the consequences of rebellion. So together, as you can see in the illustration, these four pillars of awareness, they kind of lead to the fact that then we're covered, we're under the covering of God's authority. So let's go ahead and look at the first Peter verse, because it's very similar, only he highlights one thing at the end that I think is worth noting. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. New King James says, every ordinance whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. One translation says, as a, do not use your liberty as a cloak for vice, but live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Did you know that the Roman emperors had elevated themselves to God status? They were actually worshipped by citizens uh, at the time. And they were, they were demanded to be worshipped. So this was no light thing that in this time that the Holy Spirit is writing through the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter that we're to honor and obey these authorities. This kind of messes with our head. This gives us a pause. This gives us a challenge. This gives us a problem. But for us to understand why, we need to look closer at those four pillars. And here's why. Because when we do this, we're going to be in line for God's fullest blessing. So let's look at pillar of awareness one. This is about conscience. We can't ignore the biblical imperative of conscience. What's he talking about? 
Not Jiminy Cricket, right? Who remembers Pinocchio, the Disney? Always the conscience be your God. We were at Disney once with Keith and Sandy and the girls. Jordan was really little. And we were watching a light show at the castle. And they said that always let your conscience be your guide. And Jordan yells out, let Holy Spirit be your guide. That was, that was awesome. We were like, you go, you preach it right here at Disney in front of everybody. Tell them what it's about. So we're going to look at what he's talking about here when he talks about conscience. We're going to read another kind of, kind of long passage to get to the heart of this in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Remember, we're looking at the fact that faith is energized under the revelation of authority today. The goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good what? Conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. I'm going to draw a parallel here. There's a loud voice in Christian circles today causing many people to get in the wrong line, just like we were in the wrong line at that Christmas display, when it comes to authority. In fact, they're creating more controversy. They're not operating from a pure heart. They're forgetting the law of love and suppressing conscience, denying it from playing a role in our interactions with today's culture. They think they're doing right, but in reality, they're doing wrong, as he says here. Let's further kind of uh, look at this idea that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, still talking about conscience here, chapter 10. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Wow. Paul echoes this idea again elsewhere in Scripture multiple times, but in 1 Corinthians 8, he's talking about how we don't exercise our freedom at the expense of someone who might be a weaker brother or sister in the Lord. It's just how it goes. You might have the right to do it, but it might not be the right thing. Let me ask you, does this sound familiar? Whenever we're requested to do something by an authority figure, yeah, but you really don't have the right to ask me that. I, I just can't do that. Technically, this isn't the law, so I'm going to skirt it by doing this, that, or the other. Or people just flat out say, that's ridiculous. I refuse to do that. But listen up, church. We don't want to find ourselves among those who respond that way. Even when we believe we have the right to do something, our conscience should restrain us. We should always put the divine law of love in operation. Because when we do that, we can trust God with the outcome. And it's not up to us. That leads me to pillar of awareness number two, judgment. Let's look at judgment. He writes, those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. What's he talking about? He's not talking about eternal damnation. He's not talking about you're going to hell forever. You're not going to heaven. It's a temporary judgment, but it's a two-fold judgment we need to discern and rightly divide the word of truth. The first one is obvious. Yes, the natural consequences of, of being a lawless person and a lawbreaker, you do the crime, you do the time, right? You're 
Yes, sir, I'm guilty. I will pay the fine. I'll do it. But second, we need to discern this. It's really important. The Word of God renders a verdict or a judgment based on God's truth. It judges. It discerns whether or not we're under His authority and remaining in covenant with Him or if we've let pride in and if we've entered into rebellion and we've walked away, we've stepped out from under His favor and blessing. So let's look at Hebrews 4.12 because this talks about what I'm saying here. For the Word of God is alive and active. You could say it's always on the job. It's always working. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let me give you a simple picture of what authority is like when we're under human authority and we're under the authority of God. We're under the umbrella of his covering. Now this, this isn't a judgment-free zone because the word of God still judges us, but it falls in our favor, which is amazing because if we're in cooperation with him, it's going to fall in our favor. It's not a sinless zone. It's not a mistake-free zone. I'm still prone to being human and have to repent and ask for forgiveness, but it's here where things happen like this. If I humble myself under his mighty hand, he's going to lift me up in due season. If I abide in his word and his word abides in me, then I ask what he will. Things will start happening for me because I'm under his covering. I'm under authority. If I draw near to God, he's going to draw near to me. And let's look at Proverbs, just a few of the things that we can expect when we remain under his authority. Now, where does all this come from? It comes from the fear of the Lord. Not the fear of man, but the fear of the Lord. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding he holds under the umbrella. I'm in line for success. Store for the upright. He's a shield. I have protection to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right, that's discernment, and just and fair every good path. I'll know how to treat those around me. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. If we want these benefits and more, we'll honor God's authority by honoring all authority. Well, what happens if I take this down? Now I'm not covered, I'm unprotected. If I disregard authority, if I make myself an exception, or if I give myself an exemption on technicalities, did the word really say that there? This passage in Romans doesn't apply to me now, right? That sounds like it shouldn't. When we make those heart decisions, it's really a pride issue. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives us more grace that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So it's really simple. This is a really, really simple axiom here. No honor for authority, no favor from God. If we give up honoring authority, we can expect not to get the favor from the Lord. And that leads me to pillar of awareness number three, and that's fear. And there is a right kind of fear to consider. Let me give you a very generic example. So we're talking about the difference between I'm, I'm afraid, so I'm in panic mode, and I won't do anything because I'm, I'm 
I'm just afraid and sheepish. And the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord says, if I'm perfectly free to go as fast as I want in my car down the parkway without a seatbelt, it's crazy. But something, the wisdom of God should, should speak up and say, well, you know, there's laws of physics at play. You're, you're really running a high risk. You're gambling with your life. It's not that I'm afraid of crashing. It's that I know it's wiser. And I know that there's a posted speed limit and it's for my good, for my safety. And I'm going to honor that because I'm going to honor the Lord if I honor that. Is this too simple? We've got to understand that, realize, we've got to realize that honoring authority, even during the pandemic, it wasn't fear-driven. It was actually an act of faith, trusting God as the final authority. And I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. There was a whole lot that we were asked to do that I absolutely didn't like, absolutely didn't want any part of. There was even some scientific things that I said, this doesn't make sense to me. But it wasn't doing anything to me. There's a difference between I can't do this or I, or I refuse to do this. So again, going back to the key passage, he says, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. Do what is right. There's a right thing to do. Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. That's the fear of the Lord in action. That's not being afraid of man. That's the fear of Lord in, in action. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, and he's talking to Timothy about being shy and reserved and not stepping out in his authority, especially he's a young man and he has to lead older people. It's not fear of death or fear. That's not that kind of fear. But of power and love and of self-control, a sound mind. We can't be all bravado and push back and say, I'm pushing back against fear and still not be able to control ourselves because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And a sound mind comes from the fear of the Lord, the wisdom of God. It's the fear of the Lord in honoring his word. Every single part of his word, including Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. When we honor authority, even if those authorities are leveraging fear, which was happened throughout the pandemic, we weren't responding to fear. We don't push back on them for what or who they represent. Rather, get this, we demonstrate by doing what is right in agreement with the laws of the land and with the word of God that we're walking in the fear of the Lord. That keeps us in the best place to receive the fullest expression of God's covenant blessing. So this is our supporting reality. The fear of the Lord is our higher motivation when men rule with fear. I fear God way more than I fear men. I'm going to do what the Lord says, not what man says. And if man tells me to violate Scripture, I can't do that. There is a case, and I remember Pastor Walt would, use, would teach us this well throughout history from this very pulpit. <clears throat> and here's where we say, no, not going to do it. Acts 4, verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter, we just looked at what he said about obeying authorities. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I want to say this publicly 
for what it's worth, during the whole pandemic, the Church of Grace and Peace never stopped preaching the Word of God. We never stopped preaching in the name of Jesus, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. We never stopped making available the corporate worship of God, nor the gathering of the people of God. It was for a short season that we did it in the virtual arena because we honored the requests. And that would have been impossible years ago, but think about it. We totally had the technology to do that. We did not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. We just gathered in creatively alternative ways. The church never closed its doors. We just stopped using the building for a while. Come on, are you the church? Are the people the church? Can we still connect? Can we still encourage? Can we still edify? Can we hear the word of God? Can we worship together? Absolutely, 100%. So that leads me to pillar number four. Tech Arts, I love you guys. You're amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's rebellion. The consequences of rebellion are serious. Paul says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Rebellion manifests anytime we fail to recognize or acknowledge as valid an authoritative voice in our lives. This is where it can get really roughly for us. Can I just tell you who the authority is? I'm going to give you a, a list. Did you know the ShopRite checkout cashier person is authority when you're in that line? <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Do you know the usher? Rob, the usher, he's authority in this place. He tells you to sit somewhere. You sit somewhere. You know the traffic signs, the speed limit, posted speed limits, the stop signs? Those aren't suggestions. They're, they're authoritative commands into your life from God. The IRS, Lord help us, their authority. The President of the United States, your mom and dad, your parents, the little league referee who you think made the wrong call and called your kid out, the captain of the cheerleading team, your growth group leader, they're everywhere. Authority is everywhere. We don't choose them, but God places them in our lives. That's been a painful lesson I've learned many, many times. I've had to repent and go back. You know what? God will bless you if you'll just humble yourself to do that. First Samuel 15 says this, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Understand here that King Saul, who used to be anointed, he, he disobeyed a direct command from the Lord, and that led to his downfall. And the Lord said, you've lost your authority, you've lost your anointing. Listen, church, when any one of us rebels against the whole counsel of God, when we reject a portion of Scripture, we're rebelling against authority, we're disobeying. And that means that we can abdicate our authority as kings and priests. It'll be so much more diminished. What God wants to do through us, all the things he could do, we've just said no to. If we don't want his authority, we don't get his promises. We don't get his blessing. That leads us to this supporting reality. Our authority is diminished greatly when we wrongly rebel against human authorities. I know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. You just have to trust God. Trust God. Honor authority and it will go well for you. You might not know in detail the story, but we should all kind of be familiar with Lucifer. 
was cast out of heaven because of the sin of pride. He, he led an army of people, angels, heavenly hosts who were in agreement with him, who disagreed with authority, and they rebelled. And this is what happens. He lost the position and place he was created to inhabit. You have a position and place that you were created to inhabit. Every one of you. Rebellion will remove you from that place. People say, well, didn't Jesus rebel against authority? He openly and publicly railed against the religious leaders of the day, not the Roman authority. He talked about God's house being abused and it being needing to be a house of prayer and worship, yet the Bible says he never sinned, so we know he didn't violate any command of Scripture. And at the same time, he said this, Mark 12, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Wow. Even Jesus paid taxes. He did it in some creative ways, granted, but he did it. So the question comes up. This might be a question you've had, or you might have heard it as people have been talking to you. Isn't obeying laws created by the ungodly, isn't that really like we're bowing before other gods? Isn't that idolatry? Should we, should we not do that? Shouldn't we refuse? Did we as a church kind of roll over and just forfeit our influence as the body of Christ in the earth today? And oftentimes the scripture that I'm pointed to, check this out, it's, it's in Daniel. It talks about not bowing. I want to look at that and then I want to just make an observation that I think is a more accurate way to look at this. Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I think the key phrase there is this. We will not serve your gods nor worship any image representing them. They didn't say we don't recognize your authority. In fact, in that whole thing, they're still calling him majesty. They served in the courts of, of a very evil and corrupt king. They had to somehow be a part of that culture. But they just said, this is where the line is. They stood their ground. Just like I said earlier, we will not, we will not ever not preach in the name of Jesus. They didn't lead a rebellion. They just said, throw us in the lion's den and watch what happens. And God delivered them. Can I just be honest? Christians have a few false gods that we're in servitude to that are way worse than just obeying some traffic laws or putting a mask on your face when you're asked. Consumer debt. Slavery to consumer debt. Coffee addiction, food addiction, you name it. Drug abuse. It's subtle. Addictions of all kind. Netflix, there's so much trash on Netflix, yet we're okay with that. Social media, we're, we're, in, we're, we're slaved by that. It's a God to us. How can we allow those things to exist and then act incensed by a mandate to comply to some local regulations? I think we're getting to the heart of the issue. I'm going to finish with a couple thoughts here. Remember, Israel constantly found themselves given over to captivity. Why was this? 
They were under the oppression, the oppression of their captors because they rebelled first against God, then they went into captivity. Are you hearing me? Do you think we're in captivity in America? Do you think the way out of captivity is to shake our fist at the government and get mad at them and try to change them? Although there's avenues to do that. No. Think about it. Moses, Moses didn't even rebel against Pharaoh. He just walked right in there and said, let my people go. And it took a long time for God to just continually show himself strong, show himself strong on behalf of his people until Pharaoh finally let the people go. You know, they weren't going free till he let them go. There was no army. There was no uprising. Why does God do things like that that don't make sense to us? So that he'll get the glory. So that it's him and him alone that's the powerful one that saves. Is this too simple for us today? This is the final reality. So just remember this. Rebellion isn't the response to oppression. Repentance is. Because it allows God to be the deliverer, not us. Let me give you some four simple takeaways that we just need to keep in mind as we go today. Here's what we do. Number one, we honor God. We live by his word. We do what his word says, and his word says we honor and obey authority, period. You don't get out of that one. We do what scripture says in 1 Timothy 2. It's not on the screen, but we offer petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all those who are in authority, not just the ones we like, not just the Christians in authority. It's that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why? Because it's good. It pleases God, our Savior. He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Selah. Secondly, yes, as believers in America, we should still use every legal system, every avenue to change the culture, remove the ungodly from office, and replenish our public servant positions with God-fearing, righteous men and women. And can I just say some of the people you all think are the right ones are as immoral as the day is long behind the scenes. So let's not talk about platform or politics. Let's talk about righteousness, serving God, living a truly humble, authentic life of a Christ follower. We need to push back the darkness and stay engaged in the political process. But remember, conscious still plays a role in activating the divine law of love as we obey our authorities. And finally, this is huge. We've got to pray for revival We've got to repent on behalf of our nation. We've got to repent ourselves. And we've got to call on heaven. What does it look like when revival breaks out and the people of God start populating this region? Do you think we'll have any problems changing the leadership? Do you think we can infuse at every level, at the local, at the national level, leaders who truly represent the word of God and rightly divide the word of truth? I think that's our path forward. And then these are some practical things that I want you to hear. Uh, don't mishear me today that I'm not saying. If any authority forces you to be complicit in violating God's laws, his commands, you remove yourself immediately. It's a deal breaker. If you're in a place where you're being abused by authority, get out. Don't stay there. The scripture isn't telling you to stay in an abusive situation. And never comply with orders to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And never give in to the pressure to worship anything other than God. 
And let me just tell you, there's a whole lot of surrendering that's taking place that we need to take back and we need to repent and say, not so among the people of God. Amen. So you probably have your communion elements. Would you open those right now? And as you're doing that, can we just make a fresh commitment to live according to God's word in light of this truth today? Let's just think about this truth today. I know he wants to realign our hearts. I know he wants us to make some correction. Some of us, it's just a little correction. Some of us, it's a bigger correction. Thank you, Lord. So while you're doing that, I want to pray. Lord, thank you for these elements. They represent your broken body and your shed blood for our healing, for salvation, for remission of sins. We ask you to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness today. We repent before you. We follow you, Jesus, to the cross. We lay down our lives and we receive your life. We come alive and we experience the resurrection in you today. So let's receive those right now. Would you partake? Lord, it's only by faith in you and under the covering of your authority that we receive this. Thank you for your healing, for wholeness, for restoration, for reconciliation, Lord, and life abundantly. We thank you for the Holy Spirit power to live out the message of the gospel, to be witnesses of you in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.